My name is Bill Boyce, and you might be saying, well, who is this old man up here? Um, well, I should also say welcome, especially, let's give a real welcome to anyone who's here as a freshman tonight. And uh, we really look forward to getting to know you over the next uh, years ahead. And anyone who's here as a first-year grad student, We'll be spending a long time with you guys. So, <laughs> uh, so who am I? And, and that's an important question tonight because that's uh, really the theme of the series that we're about to launch into. And uh, hi, John. <laughs> this is John Daly, who was a graduate student also back in the. the 95. 95. Great to see you, John. I didn't see you there. Welcome. Um, who am I? Well, there are many ways I could answer that question. Uh, I could answer it in terms of geography. I'm originally born and raised in Dallas, Texas, so I could say I'm a Texan. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I could honestly say that I am still uh, a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, tough times. Um, I'm, I'm a husband. Uh, my wife, Debbie, 38 years of marriage. Who am I? I'm a father. I have four adult children. And um, But even more important, who am I? I'm a grandfather. And uh, <laughs> Let's see if we can get my grandkids up here. Oh, so this is James. That picture is a little distorted. That's James. He's two years old. And next is, is there we go. <laughs> That's Ida and Emmy uh, up in Rocky Mountain National Park just a couple of weeks ago. And they're about nine months old. Identical twin girls. So very exciting for us. Uh, who am I? I could answer that in terms of my job, my occupation. Leader, or I'm a reverend, um, I'm an affiliate chaplain, I'm the executive secretary of the PCF. <laughs> <laughs> Education, you know, that's what we're all about here. Princeton, Princeton, Princeton. You got the gold ring, okay. Um, sense of self, well, I, you, you may have already figured out I'm very, very smart. <laughs> witty, charming, wise, thoughtful, funny, trapped in the personality of an introvert. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, not about the introvert. <laughs> you know, uh, this is an important question. I mean, it's kind of a classic question, right? Who am I? And and. It's a great question to ask at the start of a school year, and particularly if, you're, if you are new here, because I know from years of experience that your sense of uh, identity can and will undergo dramatic change and fluctuate uh, wildly, particularly during your next uh, four years if you're here as an undergraduate. You know, I mean, think of it, many of you, you've already been through this kind of uh, logic that in high school you were, you were the the top of the heap, the proverbial big fish, the little pond kind of thing, and you know, very quickly, uh, you find here that you 
feel pretty average, and you may even feel like, ooh, I, I'm not sure I belong here. I'm not sure I can make it here. And so that, that impacts your sense of identity, particularly if your sense of identity has been up to this point totally built on, I am smarter than everyone else in the room. Well, there's a lot of people like that in this room, and so maybe you're not. Um, sorry. <laughs> You know, similarly, maybe you were a varsity athlete in high school and you get to a Division I school and it's like, oh, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to be on these teams here. And, and so maybe your sense of self is impacted there. So there are ways in which Princeton tends to humble us, but, you know, for some of the others of you, maybe in high school you always felt kind of isolated and alone because you were smart, you were the nerd, you were the geek, and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, everybody's like me here. I, I feel, I, I suddenly feel... Um, I'm right at home, and, and so that can elevate your sense of, uh, of identity. But it's safe to say that these years will be a time of development and change and challenge in terms of how you think about who you are, and, uh, and, and it will be a time where many of you will be asking in ways you've never asked before the, the classic big questions, who am I? Who am I really? Who do I want to be uh, with greater intensity? And we want to say that however else you might answer that question with those kinds of uh, uh, personal particulars, we know that many people are in this room tonight because one answer, one answer that you would give to the identity question, who am I, is, well, I am a Christian. And, or perhaps, and I hope there's many of you here tonight as well, I, well, I, I'm not a Christian, but I want to find out what Christianity means. I want, I want to find out what would it mean for, for me to say, I'm a Christian. And that's great if you're here tonight, because it's our, our hope and our prayer for each one of you that this will be the identity marker that is most basic, that is primary and defining for each one of us. Who am I? I am a Christian. Before I am anyone or anything else, that's who I am. And in the weeks ahead, we're going we're gonna to focus on this question of identity by looking at some of the different ways that the New Testament speaks of who Christians are and who we're called, called to be. Uh, in the scriptures, in the Bible, we find that Christian identity is, is multifaceted. It's described in a lot of ways, and we're going to look at several different aspects of it. For example, if you call yourself a Christian... Uh, the scriptures would tell you that you are a sinner. Uh, they would tell you that you're a saint, uh, you're a pilgrim, an alien, uh, or a sojourner, that you're a priest, that you're a child, uh, that you're an heir, that you're a steward, that you're a sheep. And, and we want you to think, and we want to think together about what are the implications of some of these descriptive terms how, how can these begin to shape uh, more fully our sense of identity and work, work their, their way uh, more and more deeply into how we think about that question, who am I? What does it mean for me to say here at Princeton University, I am a Christian? And, and to get started with that question tonight, the answer that we're going to give uh, coming out of, out of the scripture itself is I am a disciple. And we're going to take this from a very short little parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 6, where he says, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? That's good wisdom for you, but 
should, should memorize that. Uh, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And Jesus says similar things, uh, uh, various statements in, in the other Gospels as well. And I mentioned this term disciple is probably familiar to everyone uh, in, in the room. Uh, it comes to us, I, I think, from the Latin word for pupil or learner or student. And that's why we picked it for tonight. Well, we're, we're starting a school year. And, and in the Bible, that term disciple, it appears almost exclusively think through, those of you who know the New Testament, this might resonate with you, almost exclusively in Gospels, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and also in the book of Acts. And it's usually used in those books to describe individuals who are followers of Jesus, and we'll often use that word as a stand-in for disciples. Some translations do that. Christian, who are you? I am a disciple. I'm a follower of Jesus. And tonight I want to talk about two defining marks of what it means to be a disciple as we find uh, this in, in the scripture. And I think I've got this on the next page. Disciples hit on two things. They are always with their teacher, um, and they are devoted to becoming like their teacher. Two defining marks. The first one is that a disciple is someone who is with uh, the teacher. Uh, most of my academic education, and this is probably uh, true uh, for you as well, uh, perhaps not if you were homeschooled, we homeschooled some of our kids, but most of my academic education happened in the context of institutions. It happened at schools, and it often involved books uh, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but in the ancient world, the teacher-pupil relationship was not so much an institutional relationship as a personal relationship. Uh, learning was by oral instruction uh, rather than by books, which were not readily available. And, and so the disciple, in this sense, virtually lived with and alongside the teacher. And so this idea of personal relationship with the teacher or the master or rabbi was central if we think about what is a disciple. The disciple's primary relationship, in other words, is with a person, not with an institution, not with an organization. And so from the beginning uh, to the end in the New Testament, this sense of personal relationship uh, is an identifying mark. And so when Jesus uh, called people to be his disciples, he didn't say, come to my school, you know, registration now. He said, come, follow me. Uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, records that when Jesus chose 12, uh, think of the 12 apostles, when he chose these 12 individuals in particular, it says he chose them, what, to be with him. And the New Testament indicates that the disciples were present with Jesus virtually all the time, wherever he went, whatever uh, he, he, was, he was doing. Uh, they were with him when he was teaching people and preaching, when he was interacting with people along way, along the road, when he was responding to critics, they were with him. When he was answering people who criticized and questioned his authority or his credentials, they were with him. When he responded to suffering people and people in need, they were with him. Uh, when he worked miracles, they were with him. They were with him in the boat. Uh, when the storm came up and he calmed the sea, they were with him when he was eating and when he was 
sleeping. They were with him when he was betrayed and when he was arrested. And so for the disciples then, and I want you to see this concept, I'm a disciple, this personal connection to Jesus becomes the primary mark. And so the, the Gospels would tell us that the ones who, uh, what qualified these 12 to, to bear witness to him and to participate in his ministry of, of proclamation and overthrowing the demonic powers, what qualified those 12 was that they had been with him. And you, you get an interesting uh, insight into this at his arrest and his trial, because Peter, one of the disciples, you remember, followed at, at some distance to see what's going to happen, and he's accused what? He's accused of being with him. It's kind of like, you know, part of your entourage, you know, oh, that guy's with Jesus. And uh, Peter has to resort in his fear to vehemently denying this in order to protect himself. He doesn't want to be associated with Jesus in that moment. Or later in Acts chapter 4, when the religious leaders saw uh, Peter and John, two of these uh, early disciples who had been uh, preaching the gospel about Jesus, the good news, it, the, Acts 4 says, when the religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I just want you to get that into your minds. When we think about a disciple, a disciple is, is one who is with his teacher, and I mean, I think if we're Christians, we have to grapple with the, the question, or if you're here as, as somebody who's trying to figure all this out, well, can that be true for us today? Uh, because we could rightly say, well, that was then, but Jesus isn't here now. We can't be with him in the same way that they were, in, in the ways that I just described. And, and yet, it's interesting, right, that that term uh, does continue even into the book of Acts. If you know your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Jesus during his earthly ministry, culminating in his crucifixion, and his resurrection, the book of Acts is after all of that. It's after Jesus has ascended back into heaven, and yet even there the term disciple continues to be used. And I think that's because before his crucifixion, Jesus promised those early disciples that he would not leave them as orphans. He says, I'm not going to leave you, I, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Uh, he commanded also before his ascension, Matthew 28, his last words of the gospel, he said to his followers, go into all the world and make disciples of me, of all the nations. And when he said that, he gave them this promise, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so it's part of Christian belief that our Lord Jesus, yes, became human, uh, lived upon the earth, ministered upon the earth, was crucified, died, was buried, and then on the third day he rose again from the dead, that Jesus Christ is not a dead historic figure of myth and, and legend, but he, that he is alive and active now and always present with his followers. 
Christianity is rooted and grounded deeply in history, but it is fundamentally not merely a historical memory, but it, it's about personal relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And so as, as grandiose to some of your friends, as it might seem to say, Christians can make a proper claim, not a presumptuous claim, but a proper claim to know God. Not exhaustively, of course, but to know Him personally, because He is a person to know Him personally through Jesus Christ. And so, to say, I am a disciple of Christ today, our privilege is not merely to study His, his teachings in the way we might study, you know, ancient philosophers to, to you know, learn what, what Plato or Aristotle said and taught, or simply to learn about Him in the way we might, by reading in the biography of, of some great famous personage, our, our privilege is to walk with him daily to be in his company because we believe that Jesus is the living God. To be in communication with him daily, as often as you will. To be continually seeking his direction, his instruction, his wisdom, and his perspective. And if you begin to think about that as your identity, that's profoundly transformative in terms of your life here in, uh, in, in the day-to-day, -day, your life here at Princeton. Because Jesus, if you are his follower, if you are a, a believer in Jesus Christ, he is telling you, I am with you. Whatever you are in the midst of, good, bad, or ugly, and it's going to be all three, I am with you always. And I want you in the midst of that to learn what it means to follow, to follow me. And so I want you to encourage you, uh, particularly if you're, you're here tonight as a Christian, to be intentional about this. Princeton is such a, it is a pressure cooker, that's not an exaggeration, and it will fill your life and distract you and pull you in so many different directions. And now before you're, you're sort of swept completely up into it, Commit yourself, make that commitment to say, I want to daily seek to live and to acknowledge and to be in the presence of Jesus. And if you don't know how to do that, if that just sounds hocus-pocus, uh, I'd be happy to talk to you, any of the members of the staff would be happy to talk to you and help you think that through. But secondly, not only is, is a disciple with the teacher, but they are devoted to becoming like the teacher. That was our text. And so these teachers were followed uh, because they were regarded as having something to say, something worth hearing. You didn't simply attach yourself to a rabbi to get information, uh, much less to simply uh, challenge the teacher. Um, but rather the idea was that you attached yourself to this teacher because you, you, you wanted to adopt what they were saying. Uh, and begin to practice it. And so the disciple, as Jesus says, becomes, when they are fully trained, like the teacher. And so presumably, again, if, if you call yourself Christian, at some level it's because you admire and you respect Jesus, and, and so you're motivated to learn from him, and that's exactly what he invites us to do. He says, come, learn from me. And I want to just, as we move to, toward a conclusion, two ways to learn from him. The first is 
if we're going to be followers of Christ, we want to grow more and more like Jesus in terms of character. And if you go to the next slide, we don't have time to uh, develop this, but something you will recognize from John 13, this is the night before Jesus was, uh, the night he was betrayed, before he was arrested, um, before he was crucified. And he gets up from the table with his disciples, um, and he washes their feet. And, and he says, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, that's what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you, he says, an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. As Jesus' disciples we, despise, we, we, we aspire to be like him in his character. Not merely parroting his teaching, you know, walking around spouting Bible verses or something like that, but putting his teaching into practice, following his example for how we are to live and behave, how we are to treat other people. And what we see here is, is a, an essential part of Jesus' character is humility in the service of others. And so for example, Jesus is continually associating with people whom others ignored or shunned. We don't find Jesus as a person who's impressed uh, or cowed by people of great power or great wealth. He's not motivated by worldly appearances, by the desire to be cool uh, or, or to fit in. And this, this is both a calling and a challenge to us because if we're going to be growing as his disciples, that means we're going to be taking our cues from him. And he's our example, his compassion, his humility, his meekness, his grace, his patience. So we grow like our teacher in character, but also, but also in conviction. We just think about what I just said. Identifying myself with Jesus and taking my cues from him and not from crowd or from my culture, that may mean, that will mean, that I'm going to be out of step with the people around me. Because Jesus' teaching and example um, shape our, our beliefs and our behaviors in, in a way that, that often is not only a rebuke to the way we would behave, but may also be a rebuke to the way our, our culture is behaving. And so if I seek to become like my teacher in his character, I might experience guilt by association. I mean, that's certainly what Peter was up against. This man was with him, and in that moment, Peter denies him three times. But Jesus says, no, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. The next slide. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, uh, uh, a demon, think Satan, the devil, how much more will they malign those of his household? And, and this is why Jesus makes some of his most challenging statements about the potential cost of being his disciple. Because if my primary relationship is going to be rooted and grounded in Jesus, then that might have an impact on my other relationships. It might have an impact on what I choose to pursue here at Princeton, how I choose to spend my time. 
how I choose to behave. This might at times involve sacrifice and self-denial. And you know, many of those who followed Jesus initially, they thought, wow, this guy's cool. He's saying cool things. He's doing cool stuff. But, but they eventually turned away from him and quit following him because they found at a certain point, no, his teachings are too hard. Or they're too out of step. Or they were drawn to him, but no, if I, if I go with him, that involves sacrifice. And so this is something for all of us to grapple with. And Jesus, uh, he, he doesn't really let us have it both ways, right? He asks us all. He says, he says to all of us, wait, wait, you're either with me or you're against me. What does it profit you if you gain all that other good stuff, but if you deny me and, and forfeit your soul? And so ultimately we become followers of Jesus, disciples, because we are convinced that he's more than just a good teacher alongside all the other good teachers. We follow him because we become convinced that he is the Lord, that he is Savior. What's on the next slide? At this, many turned away and no longer walked with him. And he says to the twelve, are you going to go away as well? And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And see, when you become convinced that Jesus is more than just a teacher worth emulating, that he has the words of eternal life, that he is the Holy One of God, then, then your motivation to follow him in, in becoming like him and in identifying with him, even at cost, becomes rooted and grounded in those truths. And so, you know, what could be more wonderful, right? What could be more wonderful than to always be with someone who has life completely figured out? Someone who is always eager to teach me how to really live and how to flourish. Someone who is humble and gentle. Uh, think of Jesus' famous appeal on the next slide. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, what, what God is saying to us in Christ is that we are not left alone to figure it all out. He, God has given us a wise teacher. He's given us a guide who is humble and gentle, who loves us deeply. And, and I do believe... I became a believer in Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old in high school. And at that time, God brought me out of deep despair, profound insecurity about who I, who I was. And in Christ, I had found not always ease, but I found great joy and peace and comfort every day in being his disciples, his disciples. And so just to, to, to close, I, I want to ask you as, you, as you think about this question, who am I? Do you want to be his disciple? Do you want to be with him? Do you want to be like him? That's what he's, he's offering you, and that's what he's calling you to. But, you know, the first thing we need to recognize if we want to be like Jesus, the first thing we have to recognize, number one, is, well, you're, you're not. 
I'm not. None of us is. None of us is like Jesus. And that's where this whole biblical concept of sin and of falling short of the glory of God comes into, into play. But the second thing we have to recognize is not only am I not like Jesus, but I can't be. If, if you set out and say, I'm going to be like him, you will fail. You will fail. None of us can do that. And, and it's when we grapple with those realities that we begin to, to, to come closer to the very heart of the Bible, the very heart of Christianity, which is, is this message that we call the gospel. That you aren't, and you can't, but he is, and he can, and he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish. For by grace you are saved. And this is the gift of God. It's not of yourselves. It's not your own doing. It's not your own work. It is the grace of God. And when we begin to see that Jesus is not only here to be a teacher to tell us what to do and condemn us to fail to do it, but he has, he has come to literally do it for us to do what we could not do, that we might know him and be with him and be like him forever, then we're, we're getting into the deep things of Scripture. And my, my hope and my prayer is that for all of us, that will be a journey that we will be growing in and sharing in uh, and helping one another in over these next years together. Thank you, Father, for this time that you've given us to be together tonight and for the many who have come out to share together. We pray that you would uh, stir in our hearts a fresh interest in Jesus. Quicken in us faith, a desire to know him, a desire to be with him, a desire to be like him. Father, deepen for many a conviction to be willing to say, I am a follower of Christ, even if that puts us out of step, even if that is not pleasing to those around us, even if that means cost or sacrifice. But Lord, I pray that everyone here tonight would begin to at least wonder, at least hope, that in Jesus there might be a kind of life that we were made for. And that we might turn to him and find that life. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we pray in Christ's name.